So you know what I have to do now, right? What? Fuck, marry, kill. Oh, Saeed no! Sergeant. Oh. Oh, no! <laughs> You're gonna... No! Have we done this before? Have I done Not this? Not with these three. Oh, my God. You normally just kill Jack and call it a day. <laughs> So you know how I live in like the most luxurious apartment ever? Yeah, definitely. There's a wanted poster in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> what? Who put it there? Probably management. But my understanding is someone destroyed all of the fire extinguishers in this apartment complex. That is, you need to move. Yeah, I was actually talking to Kate yesterday and I was like, I just realized I only have four months left in this place. And she was like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. You need to move because that is really bad. It was funny because I see the wanted poster. And the first thing I see is like, you know, we'll cut your rent by a fourth. If you like help us find this person. And I was like, perfect. And then I was like, I have no fucking idea who this person is. <laughs> And then it's funny because it's a really good picture of the person. If you know who that is and you're like willing to turn them in, you can recognize them easily. Okay. But when they like, did you have to give them a picture of your ID when you signed a lease with them? Yeah. So in theory, if this person lives in the building, they could go through and try to match it with an ID. Here's the thing though. The doors don't lock. So anybody can just, like, walk in. In yeah. fact, I was followed in by a homeless person once. Oh, no. I yeah. don't like that you live there. <laughs> but it was funny because I was walking lock the other day. And I was like, huh, that's like one of the little pull pins for a fire extinguisher. That's so random. That's just laying on the ground outside my apartment. And then I took Locke over to the apartment that I let him do his business by so it doesn't smell by my place. And I was like, huh, there's another one. And then as I continued, I walked by another building. I was like, there's another one. This is crazy. People are just littering. And I didn't think anything of it. But then I remembered a few days earlier, I came out to my car and it was just covered in like specks of green stuff absolutely covered and i thought to myself well the geese just have it out for me again and they just shit all over my car but now i just think because a bunch of other cars were covered in it too i think someone was just spraying cars with fire extinguishers because also on the wanted list was like theft vandalism and destruction of fire extinguishers so i think someone just like took all the fire extinguishers and just started spraying people's cars with them wow you need to move yeah Wow. I can't even remember anything that I was going to say now because I am I'm disturbed by this story. <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know that for this morning recording, I drank an energy drink and had breakfast and I've been up for two hours. So I will not be groggy this time. We're recording in the morning. Why is that, Lauren? Oh, uh, how was your birthday, Zane? It was great. You know what was so great about my birthday? My sister, my co-host. If you're going to say some shit about how, like, I didn't call you, 
Was I supposed to call you? No, texting me happy birthday, bitch, at (laughs) 8 in the morning my time, 5 in the morning your time, was enough. (laughs) But no post on the socials like I did for you. You also (laughs) took a couple days to remember it was my birthday because I was like, hey, you sure you can't do Friday? I would like to go to dinner on Thursday. And you were like, can't do it. And then two days later, you texted me. I just made the connection that your birthday is Thursday. (laughs) Okay. First of all, I don't post on social media. Secondly, maybe our producer, Kate, who is supposed to be running our social medias, should have posted for your birthday. And I knew when your birthday was, but you kept just saying, Thursday. And to me, I'm like, okay, your birthday is on the 9th. And I didn't make the connection until I looked at my calendar. I'm a very busy girl. And then I realized and I changed the date. So shut up. And you didn't call me on my birthday. So I called you the next day. (laughs) Okay. Well, anyway, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Lauren Gets Lost. I'm Zane. I'm Lauren, and I have more shit to talk. Um, I was listening to an episode that you recently put up, not for the listeners, but, you know, for the team here to review. And I noticed something. And I really, it bothers me when I notice something after we record that I could have talked shit about during. So I'm going to talk shit about it now. Okay. When we were debating if it was hold your cards close to your chest or close to your vest, you said, I think it's close to your vest because people would get dressed up to go to casinos. (laughs) That is not why it would have been best. Think about card playing. Where have you seen card playing in media? Westerns. Westerns at the saloon. Yeah, that's what and, I meant to say. At the casino. <laughs> I, I couldn't that. think of the word saloon, okay? I just said casino. It is so difficult for me to listen back to these episodes because I want to argue with you. And you're not there to argue with, and I'm just listening to us talk. So I had to write it down immediately so I could shit talk later. Well, that's the joy of editing, Zane. I can point out your flaws. You can't yeah. point out mine. But I don't have any flaws, so that must be really difficult for you. Anyway, do you want my synopsis? And today we're covering episode five of season two and found. <laughs> I've noticed that it's on the like Sun and Jin episodes that they do the dot, dot, dot stuff. Yeah, well, this is one of two. Yeah, but both of them have been a Sun and Jin episode. Technically, the first one was just a Jin episode, but yeah. Okay, but you know what I mean. Here's my synopsis. The Tailies start the journey towards the main camp, but Michael breaks off to look for Walt. Meanwhile, Sun searches desperately for her wedding ring. Good. I don't know. I had a memory of this episode starting off with Sun going like, my wedding ring, it's gone. And then it cuts to like the the intro where like Lost zooms in on the screen. And I was like, that is such a weird Like, not dramatic way to start the episode. And then, like, it continued on. I was like, oh, I was just wrong. Okay. I've got quick bits. Please tell me them. Number one, repeat director Stephen Williams. Number two, the sole Gateway Hotel featured in this episode was actually the Royal Garden 
in Waikiki, Honolulu. Mm. This was the first episode in season two not to feature the Swan Hash location. Mm. Mm-hmm. A large portion of this episode is dedicated to Sun searching for her wedding ring. If you go back and watch last week's episode, when she first starts digging, her ring is on her finger. But as she finishes up, the ring is missing. It's good attention to detail. Mm-hmm. And lastly, the color orange is included in this episode quite frequently, including the flower on Jin's uniform. Sun on her date has orange drinks and obviously the orange dress when Sun and Jin meet. I noticed all of those. So I was specifically looking for orange after his friend said, love will look orange. That's why I love Donald Trump so much. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> I was wondering if Sun's... Okay, is the actress who plays Sun... What's her name? Yeonjin Kim. Kim. Yeonjin Kim. Is she married in real life? Maybe. I was wondering if it's a prop ring or if it's her actual wedding ring. Because I think it's cool when actors and actresses are able to wear their own personal jewelry. Like, I just was wondering. And I was like, oh, maybe that'll be a quick bit. Like, oh, it's her real ring. But obviously it wasn't. She was married in 2010, so it probably wasn't her real ring. Darn. It's not normally their real ring. It's normally a prop ring, but just like sometimes um, it's like a real ring. And then after I, you know, they find it in the sand, I'm like, oh, probably a good thing it's not a real ring. (laughs) But anyway, before we get started, I just want to say I loved this episode. Really? Like... Probably my favorite of the season so far. I don't know why. I just was like emotionally very connected. I think it's that I love Sun and Jin so much. And I am like a romance girly. So they're the only ones giving me romance right now. And I want their reunion so bad. Like I was sitting there going, I just need to binge until they're reunited. Like, I need it. So I loved this episode. And I fucking loved Jin. I'm not going to spoil who it is, but you did not do a good job of covering Hottie of the Week this week. Because when I was looking at your nose, I could read through what you scribbled over. Okay, but I was really hoping that you would see the scribbles and just go, oh, she clearly doesn't want me to read that, dummy. Because it takes a lot of work to scribble out that completely. I think you just have, like... Definitely a bias towards Sun and Jin episodes, because I remember towards the end of season one, you said In Translation was your favorite episode yet. I just love them. Like, I don't know if it's the actors or, like, their characters or their relationship, but, like, I think Sun is the best character. And what I noticed, and I'll kind of get into it throughout the episode, is, like, Every one-on-one scene she has with someone else, I end up liking that person as well. Like, you know, I hate Locke. I loved Locke today. I loved Locke with her. Like, I think she brings out the best in people. It's interesting you say that you don't know if it's the, it's the actors or if it's just their, their chemistry. When I was a kid, I did not understand that people could just have the same last name. So I was like, well, Yunjin and Daniel are married. They're both Kim. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, they have amazing chemistry. But yeah, she does have really great scenes with everyone in this episode. Speaking of which, let's get into it. 
It starts off with Sun and Claire doing the laundry as Sun stares out at the ocean. She says it's been four days and she's worried. When they said four days, I literally gasped. Why did I think it had been like three weeks? <laughs> like, it, honestly, I think it's because there's been so many episodes that just keep covering the same period of time that it feels like so much longer. But really, it's just because we had like three fucking episodes of like the same 20 minutes in the hatch. Claire tells her that Michael said it could take up to two weeks for them to find a shipping lane, which when you keep that in mind and know that they failed the night they left. Well, okay, they failed, but like, it's not like it was their fault. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, how are they supposed to know that the person that they think is going to rescue them is actually like the enemy? True. Sun stops listening to Claire and freaks out while she's frantically looking for her her wedding ring, which I thought was interesting that she just starts only speaking Korean. It kind of reminded me of when Boone was hurt and she was like in a very stressful situation. She was struggling to speak English. I really liked this detail because I have kind of criticized how much or how good her English is this whole time. But I really liked this detail because in a stressful situation, she goes to her native language because that's natural for her. So I I really liked it. Do you think Claire actually thinks the raft is okay? Or was she just trying to calm her friend down? I think she does think that. Well, no, wait. Claire knows about the bottle, right? Yeah, she's the one who found it. it. No, I don't think she thinks that. Because I was going to say, normally, I think Claire is like a glass half full type of person. But with the bottle, I think maybe she's like iffy on it. Yeah. We get our first flashback. As Sun is getting ready in her bedroom when her mom walks in and criticizes what she's wearing. She also takes her heels and gives her flats in case that he is shorter than her, which I thought was just funny. Sun says all of this is ridiculous and that her mother... uh Nope. Sun says all of this is ridiculous, and her mother says, well, she should have just found a husband in college so they wouldn't have to play matchmaker. And then Sun says she went to college for her degree. We later learned it was an art degree, but why not just make it a botany degree? It would make so much more sense. Well, art history specifically. And yeah, like when she first was like, oh, I went for my degree, I was like, okay, this makes sense now why Sun is actually like so helpful and so knowledgeable on the island. I was like, maybe it's something medical. You know, she knows a lot about herbal remedies. And then they're like, art history. And I was like, never mind. That's yeah. fucking useless. It it could be like a cultural thing that she knows that information. We don't know. But I feel like it would have just been like, hey, you dumb Americans that are mainly watching this show. This is why she knows. Yeah, maybe. But even beyond the herbal remedies and stuff, like she's so helpful and she seems so comfortable in a medical setting just interesting her mother ends up saying that her father wants her to find a husband now then we get jin's flashback where his roommate tells him that this is the year he's gonna find love he uses a fortune book to tell him that love will look orange which I didn't understand how that worked. It looked like he was like using a ruler to like connect different characters. It just didn't make any sense to me. But Jin tells his roommate he cannot take care of a woman. He can barely take care of himself. 
and his friend tells him that a woman can always take care of him. I like the way that guy thinks. Okay. <laughs> but then Jin says that a man needs goals and to work hard and get promoted and be respected, not like the son of a fisherman. And his friend tells him it's just a job interview. So it was like the, oh, maybe they're going on the date together, fake out kind of thing. I never thought they were going on that date together. He's like putting the suit on and they're talking about love and all that. Okay, but like we know from previous episodes that Jin is from a poor family. He's the son of a fisherman. And then we know that son is from an affluent family and she's getting set up by a matchmaker. A matchmaker is not going to set her up with the son of a fisherman. Fair enough. I never, that was not a fake out in my opinion. Well, Jin does the classic hide the tag to return later move, which I believe was featured on every Disney Channel show. And then he tells his roommate, if love calls, tell it to wait. This is the first episode that we have seen what Sun and Jin were like before they met each other. What did you think of them? Mm, I mean, I thought that we got like Smiley Jin. I like Smiley Jin. And Sun was like not as relaxed as we see her later on with Jin. Yeah, it was nice to see an episode about Jin where he just wasn't an asshole like the entire time. I don't think he's an asshole anymore. Okay, so he punches one guy in the face this episode. Like, whatever. Yeah, again, he doesn't fully understand what's going on. I have something to say about that later. Back on the island, Michael tells Jin that he will be with Sun soon and tells Sawyer that he thinks the Tailies are trying to determine what to do with them. That's when Anna comes over and tells them to help them gather food and water as they will journey back to their camp. Which, like, that was, like, a dramatic reveal, but that, like, makes sense. Why wouldn't they just all be in one location? Also, two of their wives are over there. (laughs) They leave the aero station, checking to see if the coast is clear first. And Sawyer says that maybe they should make a run for it, but Michael shoots it down. Anna tells them to break up into pairs and to stay quiet, but Michael asks why they are so on edge. Anna shoots it down, saying, we'll talk on the road, let's focus on supplies. They break up into three different groups, pairs, whatever you want to call it. Echo and Cindy, the flight attendant from the pilot episode that gave Jack his booze bottle. She survived the crash. Did not realize that was her. They go scouting. Libby and Michael go after fruit and Anna, Bernard and Jin go for fish. Sawyer stays behind. At the beach camp, Jack finds Sun looking for her ring and asks where she last saw it. Sun says that she's so used to wearing it, she has no idea when she lost it. Jack reveals that when he lost his wedding ring, at one point he was convinced it was in the pipes in his kitchen. And he tells her that he made a replica to replace it without telling Sarah. But now it's just in his sock drawer back home. He then offers to help look, but Sun shoots him down. I think it was interesting that Sun wasn't just like, you were married? (laughs) Yeah, but that's not her way, you know? She was just kind of like, hmm. I would have been like, tell me everything. I mean, I don't think it's that, like, crazy. There's plenty of people that were married and are no longer married. Yeah, but when you first found out, were you shocked? Not really. Why not? Was I? Well, I remember the synopsis. You were like, and he was married? Yeah, I mean, I guess just because, like, he never mentioned it, but, like... 
I know a lot of people that were married. I just don't think that it's like. I guess it would just be interesting if like someone that you've spent the last, you know, 47 days with just talking and they're like, oh, yeah, when I lost my wedding ring, I'd be like. What? (laughs) But I think she did have that reaction. It was just in her own way. Did you find yourself liking Jack after this interaction? Not in particular. Contradiction. Oh, because I said I like everybody when they uh, I mean, he was fine. He didn't do anything to piss me off. I liked that he was like kind of calming her down. And Jack's pretty good at like calming people down with his own personal anecdotes. Be funny if he just tells her the count to five story. It's like not relevant at all, but thanks. <laughs> <laughs> On the north side of the island, Jin baits the water and Anna gets mad that he's not helping them. Jin basically calls them amateurs and she snaps at him because she does not understand what he's saying. And with one net cast, Jin hauls in several fish. Listen, (laughs) I had already predicted pretty early on in this episode who hottie of the week was going to be. But let me tell you that Jin won it over in one word. Fish. Fish. Well, there weren't really a lot of contenders this week, unfortunately. No Saeed. Sawyer is, like, on the verge of death. Yeah, the only other person actually would have been Echo. Mr. Echo. Uh, I enjoyed him a lot. But I don't think it was so much in, like... I guess it, it would have been a contender for Hottie of the Week because it was, like, the competence, you know? I love competence. Um, but Jin was just winning me over in every single scene. Flashback and Island, like, I was loving it. Fish. Killed it. Speaking of which, he seems to understand what Anna's saying to him, but obviously can't communicate with her. It seems like his English, at least understanding, has gotten a lot better. I did note that. And I think that's kind of how it goes, you know? Like, I'm around a lot of Spanish speakers and I can kind of understand the context of the conversation. I cannot respond. Like I can pick out words and everything like that. I just can't respond. So I think that's kind of, um, actually I was just learning about that in my class last night and that one of the theories of language learning is acquisition. So you just acquire a language as you're around it. And I think that's what he's doing right now. In the next flashback, Jin interviews for a doorman position at a hotel, and the manager is impressed that he was previously promoted at a hotel that does not promote from within. Which, I never understood promote from within. Is it technically a promotion if you're hiring an outside person? Well, no, but what they're saying is it's hard to move up. Right. The manager tells him that he can smell fish on him after learning he is from a fishing village. He then rips off the tag from his tie and Jin thanks him. Which I really hated that scene. I hate this manager. Douche of the week. Oh, he's douche of the week. I was going to put that in my notes, but I didn't know like what his title was or his name. So I didn't want to just be like hotel guy because that could be <laughs> so many things. That could be the guy that son is dating. Yeah. That's Mr. A contender. Maybe, Mr. Lee, yeah. but... I, I even considered it, but I think that was just like a misunderstanding where like men are dumb. Yeah. So, but definitely hotel manager is douche of the week. The manager then hires Jin and tells him, rain or shine, 
you will work, no time off, no raises, and do not let anyone like him in. Also, I thought it was funny that he just picks up the phone. Mr. Kwan will be joining us, hangs up. No context. But I thought after this scene and then like whatever what happens later on, this episode does a really good job using the class difference and the values that Jim talks about earlier with his roommate to set up how he gets under Peck's thumb and what leads to the tension in their relationship. Absolutely. On the island, Libby apologizes for throwing Michael and his friends in the pit. And Michael says that he never thought of them as friends and then says he guesses Jin is his friend. Still bothers me that he does that. Sawyer saved his life. <laughs> I know, but like, look, Michael is kind of just like an angry person right now. And he's got a lot of hate and he's just kind of projecting it all over the place. So he's just grumpy and he's being grumpy and he's denying friendship because of that. Libby says that she doesn't think she has ever seen anyone so scared in her life. I don't know who she's referring to. It can't be Sawyer, even though they were just talking about Sawyer. I was confused about that, too, because she said that. And in the context, it definitely seems like she's talking about Sawyer. I think Sawyer is scared, but I don't think he's showing it. Like, I think his kind of defense mechanism is being a douchebag and like, but she doesn't know him well enough to like, know that that's how he's showing fear. So I was very confused about that. I was like, I don't know. I've definitely seen, I think Jin was more scared than Sawyer because Jin doesn't know what's going on. Maybe she was talking about Jin. I feel like that would make more sense because he just would have been confused when like he first washed up and they found him and then like obviously he just hightails it out of the jungle maybe i don't know i just thought that whole thing was weird she then says that she knows about being scared and michael asks if that is the reason why they were thrown in the pit and libby says it's also because they have trust issues michael asks where all the fruit is and asks why don't they just head inland for more food and libby says that they don't go there because that's where they come from this episode does a really good job of setting up the others to be like this really like creepy group of people definitely echo slams a machete into a log that he made for sawyer they make their introductions eagle-eyed fans will notice that i referred to echo by his name several times last week despite the fact that we didn't know him but i didn't know what else to call him But Libby comes running in and tells everyone that Michael took off into the jungle. Aunt Lucia tells them that they are leaving, and Jin tells Sawyer that Michael must have gone after Walt. What do you make of Mr. Echo? I think he's like their camp's version of Saeed. Like, he's competent, he's calm, he knows shit that's competent, I'm being redundant. I like him. So far, I feel like he's like strong, calm, and awesome. (laughs) I think he's going to be a favorite of mine if he like, you know, stays alive. Anna says it's time to move and tells Libby to get the radio. Sawyer asks if it works and Anna responds that that's a great idea, which I thought was funny. Sawyer tells Jin that Michael will not come back without Walt and that he is on his own. This is not related but it is so related. 
I just have to say, Ana Lucia is the queen of low-rise jeans. <laughs> Kate wishes. <laughs> a lot of a lot of people compare Ana Lucia and Kate for many reasons, but it is funny that we talked about how low-rise jeans do nothing for Kate. Yeah. Do you still like Anna? Did I like her last week? No, I but said, t- two weeks ago she was hottie of the week. She's a bit intense for me. Like, she's like this episode. Actually, I was like kind of okay with it. I think her intensity is just like another tool that they're using to like build mystery. Like, okay, what happened to the tailies? Because clearly they are really distrusting and on edge and all this stuff. But she is intense, like a little too much for me. Mom originally tried to listen along with the episodes that we're releasing, but lately she's listening to the episodes that we're recording. And she texted me the other day. She's like, oh, Lucy is such a bitch. And I was like, oh, she was actually hottie of the week recently. And my mom goes like that bitch. Okay. But like she can be a hot bitch. Yeah. Jin decides to go after Michael and after punching Echo and then getting headbutted in return, Echo tells him that he's going the long, wrong way and offers to help find Michael. Anna tells him that they cannot wait for him, and Echo tells her that he did not expect her to. What do you make of their dynamic, Echo and Anna Lucia? They're like the co-leaders to me. It's like Anna Lucia is the leader, and Echo is the enforcer. Like, well, actually, I think she does a pretty good job enforcing on her own. Um, But I, I do feel like they're more of like a partnership Like, I kind of feel like we're finally getting the strong female character that we've been talking about is, like, lacking. Do you see it more? Anna is clearly Jack. But do you see Echo filling the Kate role or the Locke role? Where it's like, they're both kind of the second in command, but Locke butts heads against Jack. And Kate just kind of supports everything that he does. I do not see Locke as second in command. Locke commands himself. It's Locke's hatch. Okay, but like, sure. But I don't see Locke as in command of like the group. I don't mean like Locke is second in command. Like if anything happens to Jack, he assumes leadership. But people look to him even after the whole Boone thing. You know, they, they think he's competent. Saeed himself said he is the best chance of their survival. So he is kind of like in that upper echelon of like the leadership council. You yourself said that Jack, Saeed, and Locke should be the people making decisions for the beach camp. I see Locke as definitely like a decision maker. And I guess you're right. He kind of is in charge of the hatch and that whole like subgroup. It's like, it's like this. It's like Jack is in charge of everything, but then Locke is in charge of like this little specialty over here, but you could almost argue that his role is more important in a way because I mean, the hatch is like new and it's kind of a mystery, but it could be very, very important. And I probably just contradicted myself a million times. I don't care. (laughs) As far as your original question of how I see Echo, I don't think I could compare him at all. I almost feel like he's a Saeed who has more power. Because Saeed definitely, like, keeps to himself and he's just, like, there for support. And he's like, I'll help out and I'll use my skills. But he doesn't really want to be 
and charge, except for like a couple times where we've kind of seen him step up. But I don't know. I think Echo is just like a right-hand man to Ana Lucia. At the beach camp, Hurley tells Sun to retrace her steps, and Sun breaks down her day prior. Hurley determines that Vincent must have eaten the ring, and they wait for him to go to the bathroom, and then Hurley starts asking her some questions to, like, I guess, break the ice. She asks if, or he asks if she's from the good Korea or the bad Korea, or if she went to the Olympics. Sun thinks that it's ridiculous that they're waiting, and Vincent did not eat her ring, and Hurley tells a story about his dog eating and then shitting out a large amount of nickels. A buck 35 in nickels. He asks if she ever owned a dog, and she talks about popo, and we learn that it means a kiss, and that Jin is the one that gave it to her. Have you ever found anything in your dog's stuff? Well, Loki literally eats everything under the sun. Like, yeah, his shit has, like, the blanket that he ripped up, the fucking toy that he ate. Um, I know you know this story, because you're <laughs> my brother. But here we go. The time that Izzy ate a lizard toy, it got lodged in her bowels. This was not on my watch. This was on our mother's watch. Um, it got lodged in her bowels. She became very sick and then had to have surgery. A surgery with complications. And the grand total of this vet bill was $4,589. I still remember it. And this was five or six years ago. She's fine now, but she did lose six inches of her intestines. For context, the lizard that Izzy ate was not a stuffed animal for a dog. It was one for a child. And that one was given to Dexter, uh, our mom's dog, because he didn't rip things up the same way Izzy did. And I was there when, when Izzy ate the foot because she was in between mom and I, like I would say it was like equal distant. She was ripping the thing up and then just kind of like threw it on the ground right in front of her. And we both, we both just knew what she was going to do. And I think we both made a move and Izzy just swallowed it. Yeah. Bad dog, Izzy. Just kidding. She's perfect. I once found a candy wrapper and locked shit. That's it. Uh, one time Andrew was visiting at my mom's house. You're, you're familiar with my mom and his mom had made like an entire bag of baked goods, like all this homemade fudge and like all, all this candy and all this stuff. And Dexter pulled it off the counter. But then Izzy is such a bitch that she bullied him away from all of it and literally ate everything in the bag and then spent the next three days puking and shitting it all over the place. And Shout out to mom because she didn't murder me or Izzy after Izzy shit all over her kitchen. Um, yeah, Andrew was so mad. Those were like all his homemade chocolates and everything. Um, yeah, so I know a thing or two about shitting up, shitting up, sh shitting out candy wrappers. Last thing before we move on. I struggled to believe that chocolate is deadly for dogs because Dexter never had an issue with chocolate and he had plenty 
we should say like we're sounding like horrible dog owners yeah. we're not horrible dog owners we have bad dogs that <laughs> somehow miraculously reach things that should be out of their reach do you remember that time that you and one of your friends made a pan of brownies and it was it was either me or mom who came home and was mom. like you didn't mom come so you didn't save me any of the brownies and here you were like we didn't even have one we go in there tray empty <laughs> Dexter ate all the brownies no but the best part was that he didn't eat the edge pieces so she was picking at the edge pieces and eating it after the dog <laughs> yeah and he threw that up too but here's the thing um yeah, chocolate is deadly for dogs, and but it has to be, like, it's a specific, like, I'm going to sound like an idiot, but it's like a specific chemical or something in the chocolate, and it's a lot more concentrated in dark chocolate. So mm. milk chocolate, brownies, stuff like that has a lot less. It starts with a T, I'm pretty sure. I remember because I took a class called chocolate science in college. Oh, you took that too? Yeah. Anyway, we're not bad dog owners. I guess we are. But that's been years. My dog has not gotten sick from eating baked goods in a long, long, long time. Or a lizard foot. (laughs) Or a lizard foot. In the next flashback, Sun's mom coaches her on how to go on this date as they walk in and go right by doorman Jin. The mothers talk about how great their children are before giving them some space. And Mr. Lee makes a joke about how their parents are both forcing them on this date. And as they, they get to know each other, they laugh. And Mr. Lee eventually says that he enjoys the setup and Sun agrees. Now, we've gotten to know Mr. Peck quite a bit. What do you think of Mrs. Peck? I think she's pretty much what I expected from what we know of Sun's backstory already. Like, she's just focused on Sun marrying someone and she doesn't really value her education and kind of just fitting into those typical roles that a woman should have in their society. And what do you think of Mr. Lee? He seems like charming and fun and whatever, like he's fine. I also want to point out that even though he wasn't in this episode again, I still felt uh, Mr. Peck's uh, presence just kind of like looming over. Well, I mean, she specifically says that all this pressure is coming from her father via her mother. On the island, Echo and Jin work their way through the jungle, and Jin runs towards the sound of movement, and he ends up getting attacked by a boar and rolls down a cliff. He finds a body, and Echo tells him that the man's name was Goodwin. Uh, one, I feel like he did not roll down a cliff. I feel like he rolled down a small hill. Okay, what, whatever. <laughs> I think that's like a huge exaggeration. <laughs> yeah, I fell off a fucking cliff. <laughs> he just like rolled a little bit down a hill. Anyway, you know, when they found this body and he was like, oh, his name was Goodwin, right? That's what he said, Goodwin. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, obviously Jin asks if he's an other. No, but- he asks if the others did it. Oh, I thought he was asking, is he an other? Well, he says others, plural, like, did they do it? Because how else would Echo know his name? So that's literally, I thought that this was like an Ethan situation 
because I literally didn't think this until we were talking and you said, you pointed out that the one chick said, oh, we have trust issues. And so when I thought that Jin was asking if this guy was an other, and then when they said the name, I was like, oh, they know his name because it must be like an Ethan thing. Okay, so I'm just wrong. <laughs> okay, I misunderstood. I thought he was an other. But it does really show you how much like the Tailey's like backstory is just shrouded in mystery. Yeah, I like their experience obviously is so much different than what we're getting from the main peeps. Echo finds some aloe for Jin's cut and then asks him about his marriage. Jin asks if Echo is married and he says worse. Yeah, I actually caught that. And then I thought, what's worse than being married? And then I was like, not like nothing. (laughs) That's not what I mean. I just mean like, what a weird response. And then I thought maybe he said was, I was like, did I misunderstand him? But I wasn't going to admit to that because then I know you'd be like, use captions. Well, here's the thing. I watch it with the captions. He does it. The captions say worse. And I'm just like, what the hell does that mean? I know. I was like, I I just don't even, I don't get that at all. Like, are you married? Worse. Like, I know all of Echo's backstory. So, like, I can, like, interpret some stuff. But even I am just like, what do you mean by that? (laughs) Echo then asks if Sun was on the plane with Jin, and he says yes. It's interesting how Echo understands Jin doesn't really understand. But he just, he doesn't care. He's, he's just like, your wife, what was her name? And Jin just like looks at him and he's just like, her name. <laughs> but this is the way that I wish people would have been talking to him this whole time. Like, I really appreciate that Echo is like using hand signals and stuff to communicate with him. Where like the whole rest of the camp in the beginning, honestly, they were just writing him off completely and not even trying to communicate with him. And that was really frustrating. I really thought Echo might be a contender for Hottie of the Week because one, he is a good looking guy. And two, mm-hmm. he's very competent. He has like qualities of other all the other people at the beach camp just like kind of put together. And he's like a really interesting character. I'm very excited for your reaction to Echo. Like I, He was... He was absolutely in the running. But the thing is just that I have this history with Jin and I have this free love for him. So like, there's really no way that he was going to get beat. You're but, really hyping up Jin. Is it Jin versus Saeed? Are they like one and two or is Sawyer still in the top two? No, it's not even so much like <sighs> Saeed and Sawyer are just like hot, like undoubtedly. Like, I don't really care what you do. You're hot. But Jin, I really feel like I like him as a as a well-rounded character beyond his hotness. I know he's done some bad shit, but I just really enjoy him. And I really do think it's because I love Sun so much. It's like I love the pairing. Now, I also love Saeed as a well-rounded character. I definitely love Saeed way more than I love Jin. But this episode was about Jin. Are you saying you don't love Sawyer as a well-rounded character? I feel like he's had huge amounts of character development. He he definitely has. But he has flaws. Mm. And, and so does Jin. But and Jin's, Saeed. 
okay, the the underage thing, yeah. Jin's flaws, I feel like he is learning from them and he's like moving past them. Whereas like Sawyer is still fully in it. So you know what I have to do now, right? What? Fuck Mary Kill. Oh Saeed no! Sawyer Jin. Oh no! Oh, oh no! <laughs> You're gonna no. Have we done this before? Have I done Not this? Not with these three. Oh my god. You normally just kill Jack and call it a day. Oh no. I need a minute. I need <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right. Here's the thing. Oh, this is really hard. You're going to have to edit out like 15 minutes of me just being like, whoa. Uh. Well, how about we take a break and hear from one of our sponsors? This episode is brought to you by Surf Shark. Worried about your data getting out? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what? Okay, hold on. Just give me a minute. I might need to take like some pen and paper out. Okay, here's my thought process. I don't think I would marry Sawyer because I don't think he's um, loyal or has good communication skills or anything like that. Um, I feel like I can't marry Saeed because of our religious differences. You know, would he accept me as a wife? Probably he's got no problem not. with Shannon. <laughs> I don't think he's going to marry Shannon. Mm. And then, you know, obviously Jen and I have the language barrier. Kill all three. <laughs> I can't kill any of them. That is so hard. Like, my mind tells me that... I'm just going to snog Sawyer. But then I have to kill either Jin or Saeed. And I don't know if I can do that. So then it's like, do I just kill Sawyer? But like, what a waste. All right. You know, let's move on. I didn't think this would completely I, derail the podcast. I, I cannot answer that. <laughs> well, maybe we'll revisit that one day. Maybe, maybe not. My God. At her garden, Sun continues to search for her ring. And when she has no luck, she rips up her garden and throws it all over the place and cries. Locke comes out of the jungle and asks if she is having a bad day, which was funny. He gives her something to dry her tears and joins her. Sun asks if he saw her. <laughs> And Locke laughs and says no. I love you see you rip up your garden. No. (laughs) Locke says that he wishes he had a garden to destroy. And Sun comments that she has never seen him angry. Which as like a Locke fan, I was like, you have not been paying close attention. Well, it's not that she's not been paying close attention. Like she's just never around when when he does that. What was really interesting Other than Claire and Kate, I feel like these interactions that she had, the ones that you said made you like the other people, I don't really think she's really interacted with Jack or Locke or Hurley all that much, just one-on-one. I was thinking that, too. It was, like, nice to get these new mix-ups of people. Like, when she was talking to Hurley, I was like, I'm pretty sure they have never, like, Hurley and Jin have had interactions, but I liked that. I like getting new, like, new pairings. Sun and Locke are a fun pair, I think. For those of you who only listen to the podcast and uh, don't look at our TikTok, 
Lauren has been playing with a crocheted Grogu from the Mandalorian that she herself made for the last hour. He's so cute. He loves Lost. <laughs> Moving on. Locke laughs saying he used to get angry all the time and Sun asks why he is not anymore. And Locke says he's not lost anymore as he replants one of the plants. Sun asks how he stopped being lost and he tells her the same way anything that is lost gets found. By not looking. I ask the question, who pressed the button this episode? Said. Is that, is that why he's not around? Yeah. Rose. In the next flashback, Sun waits at a restaurant for Mr. Lee, and outside, Jin opens the car door for Mr. Lee, and then gives his flower to him for Sun. And this is when I really was like, oh man, there's a lot of orange in this episode. Mr. Lee asks for Jin's name and thanks him, and then at dinner tells a story of some sort of embarrassing moment where he was nude in his own hotel, and Sun laughs. Lee says he thinks that she is great and asks if they can keep seeing each other to please their parents and stop the matchmakers. And then he immediately tells her a story of this American woman that he wants to marry, and Sun's face just drops. Lee tries to explain, but Sun just stops him and leaves. I know we discussed earlier that this was a contender for douche of the week, but I really just feel like this is an example of just, like, men being obtuse, like he didn't realize that she was actually interested and not just seeing this as a way to avoid the parental pressure. And I'm like, dude, you could have mentioned this on like the first date. Yeah. But obviously he's dumb. I don't think he's like, there was nothing malicious about it. I just think he's dumb. I mean, it doesn't, it, it's not the most flattering thing. This isn't what was said, but what we know about like, their parents and the culture. It's like, hey, do you want to have like a political marriage so I can have a mistress in America? Yeah, it was basically like, hey, can I use you as like my, the word beard comes to mind, but it's not a beard because, nope. well, but it's like the same concept. It's like, okay, here's what I'm going to show to the world, but I have this secret relationship. Echo finds fresh tracks and tells Jin that they are Michael's because the others do not leave tracks. Okay, so this kind of goes back to my little theory that I had said that I was getting the idea that the others are kind of like one with the land. And I mean that in a way like, like maybe they live like an indigenous tribe type of thing. But, you know, I said that like in my notes and then I thought about it more and I was like, okay, but Mr. Friendly does not give off I live a tribal lifestyle. Was so, it the boat that made you think that? No, it was, he <laughs> just looks like a dirty old fisherman. Like he does not look like somebody that's like, even like, okay, mm, I'm jumping ahead, but when we see them like walking through, that's still aligned with my vision of them being primitive. But Mr. Friendly and the whole boat crew did not look primitive to me. And then you've got Ethan. Yeah, and Ethan didn't seem like that. So it's almost like I'm getting two completely different vibes from them. Do you think maybe there's like factions or something? I don't really know. I mean, what's his face? 
Jin got knocked out with a bolo. Mr. Friendly doesn't look like he knows how to throw a bolo. Well, it was Ethan who threw it. <laughs> yeah, but, like, Ethan also doesn't really look like he knows how to throw a bolo. So, I, I don't know, man. Like, it's just interesting. I'm, I'm ready to just, like, fully see them. What is your biggest question now? The, we, we know what the monster is, hopefully. Uh, <laughs> are you desperate for answers on the four things that you have now talked about? The button slash the hatch. Is it real? What's the deal? The others. What Kate did. And the sickness. I'm most interested in the others right now. What are you least interested in? What Kate did. I'm over Really? It. Over that it. bitch. That bitch doesn't want to tell me. <laughs> like I, I want to know, but like, ugh, come on, it's been like a million years. They make their way through the jungle, and Echo stops Jin when he hears a twig snap, and he covers Jin's mouth, and they hide in the bushes. They see several barefoot people walk by, two of which have children, and one is dragging a teddy bear. How could you tell that two are children? Much smaller feet. Maybe they're just little, little people. Well, I know one was a child because of the teddy bear. Or it's just an adult with a teddy bear. That would be a little creepier. The teddy bear was creepy. Let me Why say. Why not just hold it? I like know. Wrap a twig around it. I, that was so weird. I'm like, just hold the teddy bear. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And the other thing that's interesting about it is like, okay, a teddy bear. That's like... I feel like that came from off the island, right? I have questions. Well, we know that there are strange things on this island. You know, the radio station, the, the, the Dharma stations, the don't forget about Adam and Eve. They had that little pouch with the little rocks in them. There are mm. weird things all over this island. Definitely. When the coast is clear, they come out of the bush and Jin wants to follow them. But Echo says that they do not have Michael. Then Jin tells Echo to go back, but Echo refuses. What did you make of this moment? Just like Echo's a cool dude. Why do you think he is so hell-bent on helping Jin? Like, Anna was like, we're getting the fuck out of here. And nobody else was like, maybe we should stay. Not even Sawyer. I mean, they have said, like, the Tailies have lost a lot of people. And it sounds like it's been the others, you know, like they're alluding to, okay, those people are horrible. You don't know what they're capable of, blah, blah, blah. Maybe Echo's just like, I'm sick of it. Like if I can get this one person back, not that the others took him, but the others took his child, then I'm going to do it. In the next flashback, Jin opens the door for son as she storms out. And then is immediately asked by a villager if his son can use the restroom. Jin tries to turn them away, but is, Guilted by the child's small bladder, and then he lets them in. Not really guilted by his... He's just a good person. (laughs) Weird way to phrase that. Well, he's like... Weird. He's like, well, there's a bathroom down there. Can you make it? And the kid's like, no. (laughs) But yes, it is ultimately just because Jin is a good person. His boss then appears and chews him out, calling it his first warning, and tells him that if he wants to keep his job, he must drag them out. Jin thanks him for the opportunity and quits. What a good guy. Even polite in his uh, quitting. Hurley was too last week. He's like, dude, I quit. (laughs) (laughs) Kate joins Sun on the beach and asks about the wedding ring. Sun says she was telling herself it's silly to be upset, 
it's just a thing. And then Kate tries to make her feel better by saying they've only been gone for a few days. And Sun says that she knows he is not all right and tells her about how Claire found the bottle full of messages. And Kate asks where it is. And Sun tells her that she buried it. I immediately was like, that ring is buried with the bottle. Duh. Your notes were so short this week. I have no idea when you wrote what. Because it was like, oh, I bet it's with the bottle. And then next it was like, I was right. And I was like, okay, but did you call it right after they talked about the bottle? Or did you call it like 20 minutes prior? No, I called it while they talked about the bottle. Not not like the best sleuthing on my part. <laughs> it was pretty obvious, but. Spoiler alert for Glass Onion. Kate and I went and saw it in theaters when it first came out. And I loved Knives Out because it was like so tricky and like you're just trying to solve it the entire time. And I love doing shit like that. I always try to like figure out the plot twist or whatever. Kate and I watched Coco and I figured out the plot twist in like the first five minutes and she was pissed off the entire time. Um, So Glass Onion, I'm trying to like figure it out. I'm trying to figure it out. And I, I give myself little points anytime I like get a prediction right. And have you seen it? Yes. You know, right, literally, like, right before she presses the button to destroy the Mona Lisa, I was, like, she gets up, and I'm like, I wonder if she's going to try to destroy the Mona Lisa. And then, like, it happens. And at the end of the movie, Kate was like, you predicted a lot of stuff in that. And I was just like, are we counting the Mona Lisa? Because it was like, the building was on fire. It was like the next thing to happen. You know, honestly, I have those moments a lot. Like, I also like to try to predict things. But sometimes I'll make a prediction, like, for instance, that. And then I'll be like, was that obvious or am I smart? <laughs> I, I will literally make predictions and I'll be like, to me, that was so obvious. But I'll be like, OK, but was it supposed to be obvious or am I just like a freaking genius? But I think a lot of times it's supposed to be obvious and I'm just giving myself way too much credit. Yeah. Like I, I have been rewatching The Walking Dead and there was this moment where I was like, Oh, it's so obvious this guy's going to die at the end of the episode. But then I was like, or am I just picking up on the subtleties because I know he's going to die at the end of this episode? Well, it's different when you have hindsight. But, like, I'm talking about if you genuinely don't know. Like, I do it a lot when I'm reading. And I'll be reading and they, like, foreshadow something. And I'm like, okay, well, obviously this guy is bad. Yeah. And then they keep doing these tiny little hints and these tiny little hints. And I'm like... Are, are there still people that don't know at this point that this guy is bad? Because it is so clear to me. I'm like, it's, he's obviously the dark prince. Yeah. I was reading a book where uh, this person was betrayed and the betrayer said something that like just did not add up to the story that they were saying. Like it was like, oh, we're going back to your home. And then like the person's like, is that it? I'm like, shouldn't you know? Like this is your home. And then like almost immediately like, hits her over the back of the head with something. And the main character was just like, what's going on? I'm so confused. While the betrayer's like delivering this monologue. And I was like, get with the program. Marching their way through the jungle, Sawyer collapses and Anna stops the tailies. She tells him that they will leave him behind. And Sawyer tells her to go ahead. But without Echo and without him, they will struggle to find the beach camp. Sawyer asks if she is married, and when she says no, he says that she seems suited for it. She asks if he is married, or if he's gay, which gets a big laugh, did not age well. And then Sawyer gets up, ready to go. 
What do you make of the dy- dynamic between these two? Uh, I think, first of all, this is the first scene where we see Anna Lucia have, like, any sort of humor. Except for, like, obviously she wasn't as intense when she was talking to Jack at the bar. But I think, honestly, when the scene was over, I was like, are they trying to give me, like, flirtatious vibes? Because no. No? I'm not into it. Not into it. They're too similar. Like, they're both hot-headed stubborn like angry people absolutely not it could never work talk about a volatile relationship i don't think that will go anywhere at all but you ship kate and sawyer okay look i know i know that they're also volatile but i feel like kate's not as angry as anna lucia you know what i mean yeah so i feel like it's not the same fair enough Echo and Jin find water and refill their canteens. And then Echo tells Jin to wait for him while he goes and looks for Michael's trail. Almost immediately, Michael appears telling Jin to go back. Jin follows him as Michael screams for Walt. My boy! He didn't say that. I know. I was kind of sad. Kate was very pleased when I told her that you say it just like... (laughs) (laughs) Jin tries to shush Michael, but he says he wants them to take him. And then Echo appears and tells him that they need to go back. Echo tells him that they know he knows that they took Walt, but he does not know what they are capable of, which is not something I would say to someone who is, like, concerned about the well-being of their child. Yeah, that's probably going to make it worse. Echo then says that they will not be found unless they want to be found. Michael says that they took Walt right out of his hands and he will not go back without him. And then in the most amazing English, Jin tells him that he will find Walt. I'm not going to lie. I didn't actually hear what he said to Michael. (laughs) And then I was extra confused because then Michael just like goes with them. He He says, you find Walt, Michael. Okay, that's what I thought. But then, you know, Michael just like goes and I thought it was Jin saying, okay, we'll let you go. Like, go find him. But then they all just leave together. So I was like, okay, well, how is he going to find him? Well, I think he means like eventually. Okay. If anything, you would think that Michael would want to like go back to the beach camp and get the guns. Yeah, but right now he's so much closer to where the others actually are. And I don't think Michael thinks rationally like that. And then, uh, yes, as you said, Michael finally accepts and they all decide to go back together. I'm going to I'm going to shout out producer Kate for this next scene, because even though lost Kate was only in this episode for two scenes, she found a way to annoy me. Really? Yes. As son digs up the bottle, she gives it to Kate, who immediately starts reading the letters. And then son has to tell her multiple times to stop. It's just He's not in this episode, but I'm going to find a way to shit on him. It made me think of when Hurley told Charlie, don't read my letter. And then Charlie immediately started reading it. It's like they act like children. Okay. But honestly, I've said multiple times. I would read every message in that bottle. Do it in private. Yeah. I wouldn't do it in front of son, especially in front of her. She's the good one, but I would read every single message. But I do think it's interesting that the reverse of what I said originally is what ended up happening 
that she was specifically looking for Sawyer's when I thought Sawyer was looking for hers. Yeah, but it makes no sense. Why would Sawyer write one? He was on the boat. Yeah, but like, weren't they going to like, what were they going to do with it? Give them to the people's families after they got rescued? Why'd they put it in a bottle then? Just to keep it waterproof? Message in a bottle. Yeah, I guess. Where would you have put it? Bitch, I don't know. In an envelope? <laughs> I don't I don't know. I didn't think that far. But all I'm saying is that I was like kind of right in a way that I wasn't right at all. <laughs> Sun tells her that they are private messages and she needs to stop. And Kate tells her that she did not get to say goodbye. Sun correctly realizes she's talking about Sawyer. And then there's an awkward silence as Kate points out Sun's ring is in the sand. They laugh, and then Sun begins to cry. She puts it on. Meanwhile, marching back with Echo and Michael, Jin looks at his own wedding ring. Then we get one last flashback where Jin sees a woman in an orange dress and stops to take a look at her before literally running into Sun. It was a very meet cute moment where he helps her pick up her things and they look at each other and just instantly fall in love or probably just think, wow, attractive. Yeah, I think that was more what it was. <laughs> Sun holds her ring hand closely to her chest and looks out to sea, hoping that Jin will find his way back to her. And that is how the episode ends. I need the reunion immediately. <laughs> Speaking of the reunion... What do you think is going to happen when the Tailies arrive at the beach camp? I don't think that it's going to be like kumbaya, you know, like that's too easy. You think you don't think everyone will be accepted with open arms? Well, honestly, to me, it's just like the very initial like, okay, who is this group of people descending on our beach? Like, that's what I think it's going to be like. Do you think but, there will be happy reunions? Well, absolutely. I can't wait to see Rose and Bernard. And I super, super can't wait to see Sun and Jin. I don't think like, I think once the initial like, who are you? What is this situation happens? Like, I think it'll be fine. I don't think they'll be unaccepting. How do you think Sawyer and Kate will reunite? They'll be like, whatever. I don't even care that you're here. <laughs> Although I'm pretty sure Sawyer is on the brink of death. <laughs> Do you think there will be anything when Ana Lucia and Jack lay eyes on each other again? Yeah, I think that's going to be like a new little like love connection type of thing. And that's probably when fucking Kate will start to get actually interested in Jack. She'll be like, oh, you're flirting with Ana Lucia. Well, I have low rise jeans, too. <laughs> Do you think everyone in the Tailies camp will make it to the beach? Yeah. Who do you think will take up arms to go search for Walt? Of anybody in the two groups. Definitely Locke, because like Locke and Walt had like a little friendship. You think he'll leave the button? Um, I, I mean, I'd like to think so. Honestly, if he doesn't, I'm going to be pretty upset. Because that's pretty shitty. Anyone else? Uh, maybe Saeed, just because like he's pretty capable. Maybe Echo. I don't know. And Michael, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, but I thought you meant, like, who's going to join Michael. Right. You don't think Jack would go? No. Really? I wouldn't be surprised if he does go, but mm, maybe. Oh, and then, of course, Kate would go. What about Anna? No. She, really? It seems like she does not want to fuck with the others. 
Well, I mean, if they're armed, maybe. She is armed. She has one gun with one bullet. Okay. Still. And I don't think they're just going to be like giving her a gun. Like she just got there. They don't know her to be like, okay, here's all of our guns. Yeah, you can have one. Final thoughts on the episode, Lauren? Really, really good. I really enjoyed it. Would you believe that this was the lowest rated episode so far this season? You're joking. I strongly think it's because there was no hatch. Who gives a shit about the hatch? I loved this episode. I was a big fan of this episode, too. Lastly, we got an episode next week. Yes. I don't know if we really hinted at anybody this week. Okay, here's a question. Are we going to get backstories? Like, are we going to get flashback episodes on the tailies? Some of them, yes. Hmm. But maybe not yet. Maybe not till they join the camp. You know, I'm going to go, I'm going to go Sawyer just because he's kind of like on the brink of death. I don't know. That's, I don't have like a good educated guess. I will say going forward, I'm pretty sure the pattern of person who gets the most development, I think that's kind of on the back burner. Um, because this episode is titled Abandoned. Do you have a guess before before I tell you? Abandoned. Abandoned. Who has been abandoned? Sawyer, kind of, by his parents in a murder-suicide. Abandoned. No, I got nothing. Well, like I said, it's definitely on the back burner because the person this episode is about wasn't even in the episode. But it is the first Shannon episode. Ooh, okay. That's interesting. Okay. And I'm very excited because I love Shannon. And I've got a lot of things I want to say about her character next week. Okay. I'm excited. In fact, I've made a couple TikToks about this episode that I will finally be able to show you. Oh, I love when I get to see them. That's exciting. And if you want to go check out those TikToks before I can even see them, Head on over to laurengetslost.pod on TikTok. There's also some shit on Instagram at laurengetslostpod. There's probably nothing on Twitter at laurengetslost. And Zane diligently posts in our Facebook group and nobody responds to it. You can search <laughs> Lauren Gets Lost podcast. Still not a group, just a page. Okay, whatever. Some <laughs> shit. Nobody cares. Please give us five stars wherever you're listening. Leave us a review. Slide into our DMs. Share us with your friends, your family, your marriage partner, or worse, and tune in next week for Abandoned. Thank you for listening to Lauren Gets Lost. This podcast is hosted by and edited by Zane Kohler with co-host Lauren Kohler, produced by Kate Worcester, and our music is done by David Kohler. And remember, they were not dead the whole time.